Alright, I'll get this out of the way early, because this is supposed to be a show all about the saxophone. Saxophone. When I was about 10 years old, I took up saxophone. You see, back when I was that age, I was keen on trying everything. I had the exuberance of youth. I was in all of the school clubs because I was a precocious young go-getter. And this was before I learned the very crucial life lesson that one cannot be good at everything. In fact, one can't be good at most things. If there's one thing nature abhors, it's a dilettante. I've learned that now, and I tend to stick to things that involve the talky-talky, but when I look back on that period, ten-year-old me, I see the folly of youth. Anyway, coincidentally, ten years old is about the same time that schools try to get kids into music, because that's the way humanity works and nobody ever seems to consider that most people are really bad at music. So, naturally, when the call came out, I opted to learn the saxophone. Saxophone. Because the saxophone is inherently cool. Could have picked something simple like a glockenspiel, but no, I needed to be cool. I think I picked up the sax because it was around about the same time that Bill Clinton was elected, so it was flavor of the month. But there wasn't any passion behind the decision or anything. It was just me being a dumb kid. I didn't long for the saxophone or anything, it just looked cool at the time. That was my entire reason d'etre. Anyway, I did the sax for a few weeks, and I was really bad at it. Really bad. So I quit. My parents often use this as a way to rib me that I give up easily if I'm not automatically good at something. Which is hardly surprising for people with ODD like me, so I don't think that's a fair shot. If you're not good at something, fail quickly and move on. But anyway, it was only when I became an adult that I learned that I was almost tone deaf. Not literally tone deaf. Very few people out there can't distinguish between tones at all. But I'm not far off. I'm as close to tone deaf as you can get without actually being tone deaf. I can only hear within very broad ranges. It's like being colorblind but with sound. Here, allow me to demonstration. I literally cannot tell the difference between these two tones. I do hope this demonstration works and I wasn't on some website that was playing the same tone and they were trying to pull a prank on me. Hopefully you can hear two distinct tones, but I can't. Here we go. So yeah, that sounds exactly the same to me. I can't tell the difference. So I was never going to be a musician. And it's much better that we found out when I was 10 instead of persevering with it for much longer. Fail quickly is a good motto to have and one we should all bear thinking about from time to time. So I quit and I never learned how to play the saxophone and I left it with my other abandoned hobbies because, and I cannot stress this enough, you cannot be good at everything. I'm very good within a very narrow bandwidth and that should be enough. Polymathy is rare and it doesn't end well for the polymath. Traditionally. So anyway, that story doesn't really go anywhere. But there have been many discussions with my mother recently that have centered around my journalistic obligation to inform my audience that I once attempted becoming a saxophone player and I was really bad at it and I quit. So there, now you know. It's all out there. It's in the open. I don't think that was worth an opening tangent, but I do champion transparency. So here's my Woodward and Bernstein moment. I sucked at saxophone. 
All right, let's get into the show proper. Now you're swinging, honey. Once upon a time, there was a guy by the name of Adolf Sachs. And Adolf Sachs was born in Dinant in Belgium in 1814. And as I've said many, many times in the course of this podcast, we need to have a new dating system. Before Christ and Anno Domini are well and good, or before Common Era and after Common Era, which is accurate and secular if a little too sanitary, but I've always felt that if we're going to date history, then there's only really one epoch that perfectly fits the bill across the board. What we need, instead of AD and BC, we need BA and AA. Because if you're looking for a distinct before and after period in history, then there is no cleaner cut than when the name Adolf used to fly. There used to be a lot of Adolfs in the world, and then something happened in the mid-20th century, and now you don't get nearly as many Adolfs as you used to. So before Adolf and after Adolf, I've solved dating. Anyway, Adolf Sachs spells his name Adolf as in A-D-O-L-P-H-E, so technically it's different, but I don't think the spelling is what most people have an issue with when it comes to the name Adolf. And it's also worth noting that Adolf Sachs chose to call himself Adolf Sachs, which just goes to show you how one person can utterly ruin a name forever. Like, nobody is called Rupert anymore on account of Rupert Murdoch, even though his name is actually Keith. He chose Rupert. And Adolf Sachs chose Adolf. Adolf Sachs was born Antoine Joseph Sachs, which in my opinion is way better, but I can't speak for the style of the time. We can never judge the past by the mores of today. We do things today that in 20 years are going to seem as weird as wearing an onion on your belt. So choosing to be Adolf instead of Antoine Joseph Sachs, who are we to judge? And he's born in a time coming to the back end of the classical period of music. You know this period. Guys like Mozart and Beethoven are doing their thing, and it is great. Wolfgang is saying things like, let's just shred the fuck out of this piano and see what happens. And then you've got Ludwig van, he goes, I want a hundred dudes with violins to go bum 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 at the same time, and Europe is rocking. Bum bum bum. Now a little more allegro than last time. And if you want to go a little softer, you can throw some flute in there. And if you want to go a little bit harder, you can lean in heavy on the cellos. And it was good. Music was ripping. But there was something missing in classical music. There was a void in the world of music in the 18th and 19th centuries. As good as the piano was, as good as the cello was, as good as the flutes and the bassoons and the clarinets, there was no instrument out there that said, that yelled and screamed at the world, I want to fuck like a nasty perro. And that is the void that Adolf Sachs was born into. He was going to invent the fuck horn. It's all dirty to me. Adolf's father was one Charles Sachs, who was a somewhat famous Belgian carpenter and maker of musical instruments. 
Charles Sax's instruments weren't in the realms of, say, a Stradivarius, who he himself owes a lot to the materials he was working with more than his actual craftsmanship, and history has been very kind to Stradivarius, but Charles Sax was the kind of guy you went to if you wanted a good instrument to play. You want something solid that's going to work, it's going to do everything it's advertised, you go see Charles Sax. And he made it all. Woodwind, brass, pianos, harpsichords, if it made a noise when you hit it, strummed it, or blew into it, Charles Sachs was your boy. But the problem was that none of his instruments made a noise that you could fuck to. Which is why Charles had a son, Antoine Joseph, who's going to become Adolf, and he is going to change the world. Eventually but he's got a whole lot of shit to get through first. Adolf Sachs's childhood was uh, problematic, to say the least. Because it is a miracle, actually it is several miracles, that Adzi actually made it to adulthood at all. Adolf's childhood was described in one of my sources as, quote, chronically accident-prone, which is certainly one way of looking at it, but a different much more alarmist way would be to say that there is a god, and that god was trying very hard to prevent the saxophone from ever being invented. There is divine will in play here. The first indication that deicidal murder was on the cards came when Adolf Sax was three years old. Three years old is about the time that babies stop being babies and become human beings in their own right, and this is about the age that young Sachs would have first started sending out psychic signals that he was going to invent one of the most controversial instruments of all time. So three-year-old Adolf Sachs was tottering around at the top of the stairs of his house, and, as toddlers do, he tripped and took a tumble down those stairs. And as someone who has very recently seen something very similar, a toddler falling down the stairs, that is one of the top 10 funniest things in the universe. I don't make the rules, it is just hilarious, there are very few things in the world that are funnier than a toddler falling downstairs. There's a moment where they go in slow motion in midair, and then you can see that for the very first time in their lives, you see them realize that the universe is an inherently cold and cruel place, and they look so betrayed. It is beautiful. It is... Ah, love it. Live for it. This is more exciting than that time I saw Bobby McFerrin fall down all those stairs. So that's what happened to three-year-old Sax, which is hilarious, but then it got heavy. He proceeded to bounce down the stairs, and then he cracked his head really hard on the paved floor at the bottom of the stairs. The sources vary about what happened next, but the worst-case scenario was that he spent a week in a coma. The best case is that he was bedridden for a while because he couldn't stand on his own feet on account of this head knock. But he survived. And that's what's important. God tried to murder three-year-old Adolf Sachs, and he failed. As he lived. But God is a stubborn creature, and he will try to kill again. And this is not out of character for Yahweh, the Christian God. And just for kicks, I'm going to include in the show notes a handy reference guide for all of the times that God straight up committed murder in the Bible. Not stuff like genocides or floods or wiping out cities, but the time when God straight up says, fuck that guy in particular, and then murders them. He is an absolute psychopath. Nobody should be worshipping him. 
So young Adolf Sachs gets better from his stare incident, and he goes back to being a three-year-old child again. And he's tottering around the house once again, and for most of this, you need to remember that this is in 1820, when most of the things around your home were not merely dangerous, they were actively trying to kill you. We've covered this era before in quite a few shows, but I am always surprised that the human race made it out of the 1800s. The Victorian era was a potent time for accidental murder in your own home. And that is, once again, what happened to Adolf Sachs. So little Adolf Sachs is wandering around the house, and he sees a glass of white liquid on the kitchen table. Yummy milk, he thinks to himself, and then he goes and downs the whole thing in one swig. This glass of white liquid that wasn't milk. It was a glass of acid that was just sitting on the kitchen table because, again, this is the Victorian era and everything is lethal. So he's just swigged a whole glass of acid. <laughs> you idiot! You nearly drank a beaker full of sulfuric acid! Acid, eh? Gee, that would have been stupid. But, fortunately for Adolf, it turns out that it wasn't pure acid, it was diluted acid. So instead of dying, Adolf Sachs just has his intestines horribly burned from the inside out and another long and painful convalescence. But he survived. God has failed to kill him for a second time. He will not be deterred, though. There are more divine murder attempts. At the age of six, so the kid has gone three years now without coming close to death, that's some kind of new record, at the age of six, young Adolf Sachs swallows a large knitting needle. As much as I'd love to know exactly how this came about, nobody closely documented the why or the how. The sources just say that he swallowed a large knitting needle. And as it happened, this passed through his system without incident. It went in one end and came out the other completely intact. No further damage to his system possibly because his insides were made out of horrible scar tissue on account of him swigging a glass of acid years before. Possibly, who knows, but he survived. And now, this is the point that Adolf, as I think many of us would, Adolf reaches the very logical conclusion that, given everything that has happened to him in his life up till this point, up to and including eating a large knitting needle, he feels that he is nigh invulnerable. That's the conclusion he reaches, and as I say, it's a fair assessment because he has survived a fair bit of shit up until this point. A man who by all rights should have been killed dozens of times by now? Mm, 316 times by my count. So, as one does, he decides to test this theory. Because there's nothing like testing your own immortality in the Victorian era where everything wants to kill you all the time. Adolf Sachs, less than 10 years of age, he takes it on himself to consume as many toxins as possible because he thinks that he's a modern-day Mithridates. White lead? Down the hatch. Copper oxide? Mmm, yummy. Arsenic? Let's chase that down with some ammonia. Now, of course, this did not kill him, as it rightfully should have, because those are some hardcore toxins, but it didn't do wonders for his health, and he was a very sickly child because of all the, you know, potent neurotoxins that he was consuming on a daily basis to spite the Almighty. 
and this worried his parents, who were quite concerned for their child's health and future prospects of continuing to be alive, although they were as yet unaware that little Adzi was chugging down poisons like they were red cordial. They didn't know about that part yet. Sax's mother straight up said, and I quote here, He's a child cursed to misfortune. He shall not live. And friends and neighbors called him the ghost of Dinant because he had so many brushes with death. But still, Adolf Sachs is not dead. He's consumed a heady mix of the most deadly toxins known to man at that point, and he's still breathing. Just. And here's where I will inject my own narrative into the story. There's no source for this next bit, this is entirely my creation, but let's run with it, because as you'll see, it fits. While Adolf Sachs is in a fever dream, having consumed copious amounts of arsenic and lead, he begins to have visions. His third eye opens and he stares unblinking into the great beyond. The veil between worlds is stripped bare before him and he gazes into infinity. And what he sees staring back at him is both terrifying and awe-inspiring. He sees it, glowing in the darkness. A horn which will define the 1980s over a century in the future. Space and time mean nothing to him now. His life spans before him. The golden path is laid bare. He is going to invent the fuckhorn. But knowing the path and walking the path are two different things. And, as we've established, there is a furious god who wishes to prevent the saxophone from ever being invented. Adolf Sachs is not yet ten years old, too young to be inventing musical instruments. God still has time on his side to commit this murder and prevent the saxophone from ever being invented. So he does. Still at the age of ten, one day young Sachs was walking along a river close to his home when an abnormally strong gust of wind blew him off his feet. He tripped, he cracked his head on the pavement, and this is nowhere near his first concussion. This guy had CTE injuries for sure. But now, 10-year-old Sax is unconscious again, and he rolls down the bank into the river. He was in a rather remote region at the time, so nobody saw him fall into the drink. He was discovered sometime later when his unconscious body floated face down in the water past the local water mill. The mill workers rushed into action, they pulled him out of the water, and they did CPR on him, and once again, in defiance of God's will, Adolf Sachs once more drew breath. Now, something you're going to notice about Sachs is he tends to trip and fall a lot. Possibly because he's consuming copious amounts of highly unstable poisons on the daily. That could be a reason why his equilibrium is a bit off. Because every morning he's getting up and going to the kitchen and finding the most potent poisons he can to make a strychnine and arsenic protein shake to get the day started on the right level. And it's precisely on one of these occasions, after he's had his arsenic, strychnine, and whatever else he found in his Victorian kitchen protein shake, that he had another one of his dropsy spells. And that's the story of the time that Adolf Sachs collapsed and fell on a hot stove. So you can add that to the list. Adolf Sachs has now tripped and fallen onto a searing hot stove, so for the rest of the story, you're going to need to imagine Adolf Sachs looking like Grigor the Hound Clegane from Game of Thrones. Half of his face is permanently scarred with burns from tripping and falling on a stove. But again, he lived. 
and again, probably because of the mithridatic mix of poisons in his system, he manages to avoid any kind of infection, which was pretty much always lethal before Alexander Fleming. So once again, Adolf Sachs gets to live and give God the finger. So now Yahweh has to go back to the drawing board and try to kill this kid again, which is probably why one day when Sachs was walking through downtown Dinant, a roof tile randomly fell and landed directly on his head, knocking him unconscious for at least the third time in this story. Remember, being unconscious once in your life is really bad for your brain. This guy isn't a teenager yet, and he's hit three times. And roof tiles can be lethal as we can probably all expect. But did you know that Ferris of Epirus, remember him, secondary character in the Hannibal series, Ferris of Epirus, remember him? He was killed by a roof tile. Did you know that? Bonus fact, go win some trivia. So these repeated concussions, comas, burninatings, and poisonings are giving Sachs an insight into the world beyond worlds that most mortals can barely glimpse but once in a nightmare. Sachs is astral projecting every couple of days. And this is where he begins to form his idea for the devil horn. But we're not done yet. Because as much as has happened to Adolf Sachs in his young life to this point, he hasn't exploded yet. So we're going to need to fit that in. Sachs, as was the style at the time, followed his father Charles into the carpentry profession. Charles, as we've established, was a fine carpenter and a great maker of instruments, and Adolf followed him into that trade, which is all as expected. Now, since this is the mid-1800s, of course the workshop includes a large barrel of gunpowder in it. Because it's the Victorian era, everything needs to be as deadly as possible, so you keep your gunpowder in your workshop next to all of your tools that make sparks and the candles that you use to see everything. Nothing is possibly going to go wrong there. And you need a barrel of gunpowder handy, because what if somebody sullies your honor? Are you going to let that slide, or are you going to both die in a duel? That's right, that's why you need a barrel of gunpowder. So Sax explodes. And once again, he isn't dead. Because one of the constants of the multiverse is that the saxophone needs to exist. Just like every multiverse has a Spider-Man, and that Spider-Man is usually Peter Parker, every multiverse has to have a saxophone, and the saxophone was invented by Adolf Sachs. Adolf Sachs, in one of his frequent trips to the eternal darkness between realms, saw a void where the saxophone was not, and he thought to himself, No, this will not do. So he set about creating the fuck trumpet. We're going to fast forward a little bit here because there was a solid 10-year stretch in Sax's life where he didn't almost die, which is quite unusual for him, but is not thrilling narrative. So now he's in his mid-twenties, and he's a professional instrument maker. In fact, he is a very good maker of instruments. If you want something that can make a specific noise, Adolf Sax is your boy. He can craft great instruments. But the problem was all of these instruments already existed. Tubamabas, obamabos, they all currently exist. But there was no saxophone. Sax has an advantage here. 
His father, as we've established, was well known in the music industry as someone who got shit done, but his mother was also a gifted musician, and she too was quite skilled with crafting the odd instrument or two, so Sax got it from both sides. His chromosomes are swimming in musical talent. In fact, both of Sax's parents, Charles and Marie-Joseph Sax, had recently achieved minor fame for making some improvements on the design of the French horn, which were then adopted throughout Europe. That's what they were semi-famous for, before they had a son who was a magnet for death and they became known as the Ghosts of Dinant. And that genius got passed down to young Sax, and he has incredible genes for crafting musical instruments. And he's got the fire in his blood to do it. He just needs to make his vision a reality. So Adolf Sachs sets his strychnine-powered genius on the problem, and he starts designing new instruments. And he has the kind of creative flair that the genius possessed and the insane lament, and he brings this to mid-1800s Belgium in a big, big way. At the time, Belgium had what was called the Belgian National Convention. I know, Belgium is a weird place to have the Belgian National Convention, but these were different times. And one of the things that the Belgian National Convention did was offer a place where people could invent their own random shit and then have it judged. And Sax was a frequent contributor to the National Convention, submitting new instruments nearly every year from the time when he was 15, and barring any occasions when he was in a coma because of his frequent near-death experiences. One year he redesigned the flute, the second year he redesigned it again, and a third year he came in with a new style of clarinet as you do. And apparently these were actually pretty good, although they were never actually adopted. Because this was the stuffy world of prudish old men, as you'd expect at the judging panel of a national convention, so they didn't like it when teenagers came in with new designs on old concepts that were clearly better, so they made sure that Sachs never won any of these competitions. Three times he was recommended by the judging panel on blind analysis, three times he was recommended for the gold medal, but when the judges discovered his age, they denied him the top prize. The reasoning the central judging panel gave was that if they gave such a young inventor the gold medal, then he would have nothing to strive for next year. Which is some of the most major league bullshit I've ever heard, and it's very similar to the reason that I never made the state finals of Raw Comedy, which is something that, 20 years later, I can say that I am completely over and not still seething about. And Sachs like myself, made the possibly rash decision to tell the judges to go and fuck themselves. Well, the way he said it was, and I quote here, If I am too young for the gold medal, then I am too old for the silver. End quote. But the sentiment was the same. Go fuck yourselves. So Sachs did what anybody fed up with the establishment did in Europe in the mid-19th century. He packed up his bags and he moved to Paris which was the Centre for Culture at the time. You've been slipping lately, France. Upon arriving in Paris, Sachs made the acquaintance of a famed clarinet player from the Paris Academy of Music, one Isaac da Costa. Da Costa had previously made his own attempts at modifying instruments, particularly the clarinet, but he didn't have the raw ability of sax, and was duly impressed by the improvements that sax had made not only to clarinets, but pretty much any musical instrument he touched. And, being connected to the Paris music industry, da Costa became something of a patron to sax, trumpeting him around as the next big thing. You, uh, you see what I did there? You see? Trumpeting? 
trumpet. Yeah. The book on comedy, available on Amazon for five dollar readers. It tells you in no uncertain terms to never do what I just did. So it's 1842, and Saxe is in Paris with 30 francs in his pocket and the crazy fever dreams of someone who has cheated death dozens of times. Did I say 1842? I meant 1842. My script there originally said 1942, and that's when people went to Paris for an entirely different reason. So it's 1842, and Adolf Saxe is making his name in the City of Lights. And he throws the dice. He gets in touch with one of the most prominent composers of the day, a guy named Hector Berlioz. And he says to Hector, hey, I make cool shit. You want to take a look at my cool shit? And Hector was all about that. He loved that cool shit. And he publishes an editorial about this new kid from Belgium who makes fantastic instruments. On June the 12th, 1842, Hector Berlioz wrote this in the Journal de Debat. Quote, Mr. Adolf Sachs of Brussels is a man of penetrating mind, lucid, tenacious, with a perseverance against all trials. And holy shit, this guy had no idea about tenacity and perseverance against trials. There's no way he knew how many times this guy has almost died. But anyway, we continue. He is at the same time a calculator, acoustician, and, as necessary, also a smelter, turner, and engraver. He can think and act. He invents and accomplishes. Composers will be much indebted to Monsieur Saxe when his instruments come into general use. May he persevere. He will not lack support from friends of art. End quote. Which is a ringing endorsement. Ringing. See what I did there? The book on comedy! Now, because Hector Berlioz was publicly sucking his dick in Parisian newspapers, Adolf Sachs starts to get gigs. He plays the Paris Conservatoire, and he nails it. His concert is a huge success. I can't remember if I mentioned this, but Adolf Sachs could play a number of instruments, and he could play really well. But I gather everyone picked up on that on their own. The guy can play instruments. It's what you did back then. You all knew that. So he plays this concert with instruments he made himself, and he blows people away, and it's all looking roses and sunshine for Adolf Sachs. He makes enough money and enough connections to found his own company, the Adolf Sachs Musical Instrument Factory, which isn't much in the name department, but it did deliver what it promised. Things are starting to look up for the ghost from Dinant. But that is not to be the case. Because remember... God hates this guy specifically, and if he can't murder Adolf Sachs, he can damn well try to ruin him. So the Lord works in more mysterious ways. The Parisian music scene, famous for being outgoing, friendly, and welcoming of outsiders, they've decided that they're not going to have some upstart from Brussels come in and stomp all over their carefully built industry especially by doing something as offensive as making instruments that were clearly better than anything they could manufacture. Oh, the nerve! So they band together to try and destroy Saxe, probably having been visited by biblically accurate holy messengers with instructions from God to murder this guy. So they did the usual. Frivolous lawsuits to eat into Saxe's time and money, slanderous articles in the press, Keith Murdoch style. They even consolidated into a cartel to enact a boycott on Saxe brand instruments. 
1843, the prolific composer Gaetano Donzanetti was writing his new opera, Dom Sebastian, and he decided to use Sax's instruments in his new production, having noted that the improvements that Sax had made on bass clarinets, among others, made them far superior to anything else in the world at the time. However, the anti-Sax cartel would have none of this, and they threatened to blacklist Donzanetti if he used any of Sax's instruments. So if any of Sax's instruments go in this new opera, then this cartel would have prevented the orchestra from playing this new opera. So Donzanetti was forced to backpedal, and Sax's instruments were not used in Dom Sebastian. And in another little bit of random trivia, Dom Sebastian was the last opera that Donzanetti went on to write before he went dangerously insane from syphilis and had to be institutionalized, so it was a wild time all around. And this was not to be the last time that Sachs fell victim to this cabal. Adolf Sachs was no stranger to protest. People are always slow to change, and he was always pushing the boundaries of what you could and couldn't do with an instrument, and he was making these things sing... So one of Sax's tried and true methods of dealing with such people was to challenge them to musical duels, like he was trying to win a golden fiddle off the devil. Whoever played the best won, and whoever lost had to shut the fuck up forever. And this usually worked pretty well because Sax could play a variety of instruments very well, and he was using instruments of his own design, which just plain outperformed anything else on the market, so he usually won. But he couldn't do that with the combined might of the United Musicians of Paris. That would be like trying to take down John Williams and the London Symphony Orchestra, which is one of my signature stand-up bits for anyone who has seen me live, and I won't repeat it here so that people will have to see me live. Anyway, the music Illuminati of Paris kept putting their thumb on the scales, and Sachs couldn't make headway in the industry because of these boycotts. He was hemorrhaging money. It got so bad that his composer friend, Hector Berlioz, once again published a paper on his behalf, in which he said, quote, It is scarcely believed that this gifted young artist should be finding it difficult to maintain his position and make a career in Paris. The persecutions he suffers are worthy of the Middle Ages and recall the antics of the enemies of Benevuto, the Florentine sculptor. They lure away his workmen, steal his designs, accuse him of insanity, and bring legal proceedings against him. Such is the hatred inventors inspire in rivals who are incapable of inventing anything themselves. End quote. And holy shit, not a truer word has been written. Hector Berlioz laying down some straight truth there. Now, here's where we hit a bit of an interesting time in the life of Adolf Sachs. Well, interesting in a different way to all of the death-dodging he's been doing. There's a prime opportunity for Sachs to establish himself in a way that nobody will be able to deny him ever again, not even the cartels that are against him. He can set himself up with a contract rich enough to last him for the rest of his life. And what happened was that the French army were not happy with their marching bands. The French, who for centuries had prided themselves on being the biggest, the most flamboyant, the most flaming of all marching armies in Europe, they'd found themselves falling behind. They simply weren't as fabulous as the other armies out there, and this would not do at all. 
Hell, even England had better marching bands, and that was the biggest insult of all. So the French government set about finding ways to make their armies the most amazingly musical armies in the world again. Because the best army isn't the one with the most troops or the biggest guns or the best tactics, it's the ones that can belt out the national anthem in a way that makes people weep with patriotic pride. That's what it's all about. Anyway, I also do a bit about army marching bands in my live show, so do try to take in a live show at least once. So the French government is looking for something that will set their marching bands apart. And this is where Saxe unleashes his greatest invention. Previously, Saxe had been making improvements on other instruments. He'd tweak a clarinet here, boost a flute there, make a trombone easier to play. The instruments were always better, but they were always extant instruments. He hadn't unleashed anything of his own yet. But now, now is the time. All of those childhood trips to the void between worlds, as he lay in the eternal gloaming twixt life and death, as space and time no longer held any sway over him, and he could see the infinite multitude of possible futures play out before him like a spider's silk, Sax had seen the golden path, he had seen the light and the way, like the Kwisatz Haderach, he knew what he had to do. He had to create a new instrument, something never before contemplated by the minds of sane men, nothing before glimpsed in the waking world of humanity. Adolf Sax is about to unleash the saxophone. But first, here's a question for you. In an orchestra, what section does the saxophone sit in? So you've got things like percussion, strings, brass, woodwind. Where do you find the saxophone? If you said brass because saxophones are made of brass, then congratulations, you are 100% incorrect. The saxophone is a woodwind, you idiot. I joke. I kid. I love all of you. For everyone who had a stab at it and came up with brass because they're made of brass, you are a decent, rational human being with a functional brain. It is the music business who are wrong. But the correct answer is, saxophone is a woodwind. I know, go figure. Here's how you break it down. The way that brass instruments like trombones work is that you blow air into them and then you modulate that air with your lips. The shape of your lips in turn shapes the sound, and then the instrument amplifies and alters that sound. That's how brass works. A saxophone, despite being made of brass, actually uses a wooden reed at the mouthpiece to form the sound. So despite the entire instrument, aside from that little strip of wood at the mouthpiece, the entire instrument being made of brass, that little reed is what makes the saxophone a woodwind instrument because musicians just want to be difficult. Which, conversely, would make a didgeridoo a brass instrument, despite it being made completely out of a single piece of wood, because why the fuck not? The music industry doesn't make any sense. So back in the 19th century, you had woodwind, which gave you awesome control over sound. Flutes and clarinets and obomabos. 
they all allow you to play all of these various notes and you have control over those notes and you can make a panoply of sounds seemingly without limit. You can do anything with these notes. You've got so much control. The problem with woodwinds is that by their very nature, they're not very loud. Especially not on a battlefield where you really want people to know that you're about to bust out some sick rendition of Danude's Sandstorm. Conversely, you have brass instruments. Trombones, tubers, bassoons. These things blast the fuck out of a sound. You can hear them over the din of a battle, but you can't control them like you can with a woodwind instrument. They don't have that subtlety. They don't have that control. And what Adolf Sachs had just invented was a woodwind instrument that could belt out sound like a brass instrument. All of the control with all of the power. That's the saxophone. You get the best of both worlds, and it was a goddamn game changer. Here's Hector Berlioz once again. Quote, It cries, it sighs and dreams. It possesses a crescendo and can gradually diminish its sound until it is only an echo of an echo of an echo, until its sound becomes crepuscular. The timbre of the saxophone has something vexing and sad about it at high register. The low notes, to the contrary, are of a grandiose nature. One could say, pontifical. For works of a mysterious and solemn character, the saxophone is, in my mind, the most beautiful low voice known today. End quote. God damn, Hector, and Baker Street won't even be released for another hundred years. How did you know? So Adolf Sachs has a plan, and that plan is to put a saxophone into the hands of every French division from Paris to Djibouti. And, slight spoiler, but that doesn't end up happening. But just take a moment to meditate on exactly what mankind has lost there in history. Imagine going into the First World War, the first battle of the Marne, and Joseph Joffrey's fighting lions, a million strong, are taking it to the Huns, blasting, careless whisper the whole time. We could have had that. That could have been our reality, but the motherfucking French have yet another crime to pay for. They robbed us of that. At the Paris Industrial Exhibition in 1844, Adolf Sachs appeared on stage behind a curtain. And the house lights dimmed, and the stage lights came on. And Adolf Sachs took center stage, and he let fucking rip. And it sounded something like this. Sachs never came out from behind the curtain. He hid the whole time. The reason was that he had been unable to patent his new invention the saxophone, and he didn't want anyone stealing the design, so he played in silhouette, and he blew the fucking roof off. The show went off. 
the French military took notice and were intrigued by this new saxophone named after its inventor. It did seem to deliver everything they'd been looking for. But the military always has to do its A-B testing, so that's what happened. The French military set up two groups of marching bands, and these bands would play identical pieces, but one of them would use traditional instruments, and the other would play the new saxophone, and other instruments improved by sax. And on the 22nd of April, 1845, these bands marched through the streets of Gay Paris, and Team Saxophone rocked the shit out of it. It wasn't even a contest. Adolf Sachs had his military contract. However, the enemies of Adolf Sachs would not allow him to have this military contract. Oh no. They're not going to stand for some upstart crazy person from Belgium coming in here, muscling in on their action with a clearly superior product. Oh no, that won't do it all. So the anti-Sax cartel actually coalesced into an official entity, the United Association of Instrument Makers, which may have well been called the No Adolfs Club. But you let in Adolf Adams. It says no homers. We're allowed to have one. So step one in taking down our mate Adzi was the best by test method for capitalists going all the way back to the invention of capitalism. If someone is being innovative in a way that threatens your business, you tie them down in frivolous lawsuits until they run out of time and money. It was as true back then as it is today. The first thing the anti-saxes did was challenge the patent on the saxophone. Which is difficult, because it's kind of hard to challenge the patent on an invention that bears your name, but they tried it. They went to the French patent office and, and this was a bit of a Hail Mary, they said that the patent could not be registered because the instrument, as it was described in the patent, did not technically exist. This was shot down by Sachs when he countered the claim by walking into the patent office holding a saxophone that apparently didn't exist and said, here, this is a saxophone, I'm holding it, it exists, and the court found in his favor. And then, and I can't prove this and I don't have any sources for it, but we all have to assume he made his point by busting out another epic sax solo for good measure. Sometimes you don't need to cite sources because there's no way it didn't go down like that. Of course he walked out of there playing the sax. Not to be deterred by their harebrained scheme falling apart, the instrument makers pivoted into another equally stupid patent challenge. They went from claiming that the saxophone didn't exist to saying that you can't patent the saxophone because it's not actually a new instrument. Sax just modified old instruments, so that doesn't count. To which the judge responded, well, okay, what instrument did he modify? And then they were forced to withdraw that challenge too because that was too fucking stupid. This is obviously an entirely new instrument. So then they tried to claim that the saxophone wasn't even a new instrument. Other people had been making saxophones for years, so you can't patent them. They've been around forever, the saxophone. We know the saxophone, it goes way back. Now, you may have spotted the problem with this claim, and the problem is it's an absolute fucking lie. 
but they tried it anyway. And before the courts could step in to shoot down the music makers for a third time, Adolf Sachs himself decided to step in and lay some fucking smack down. He challenges every single instrument maker in France to make a saxophone. On their own. Hell, if it's so easy to make a saxophone, why don't you go ahead and make a goddamn saxophone? And if you can, I will withdraw the patent application. But if you can't, everyone has to shut the fuck up from this point on. And this proved to be impossible for everyone else because there was only one person in history who was crazy enough to make saxophones, and that was Adolf Sachs. Everyone else failed because nobody else had ever ridden the river Styx as many times as Adolf Sachs and lived to tell the tale. Nobody had seen into the beyond to glimpse the schematics of the devil's horn. So they all failed. And on the 22nd of June, 1846, Sachs had his patent. So when the legal proceedings failed, the United Association of Instrument Makers had to go all in. And that's when they set fire to Sachs's workshop and sent an assassin after him to shoot him in the dark. And this may have been scary for most people, but we all know now that Adolf Sachs is unkillable and his life will never be taken by man nor God, so he shrugged off these assassination attempts. The official report of the assassination attempt is that the gunman's shot went wide before he fled off into the dark, but I think a far more compelling narrative is that the bullet just pinged off Sachs like he was Colossus or something, and the assassin shat his pants and ran instead of tangling with someone who is very clearly immortal. As for the workshop fire, it's not like Sachs hadn't been on fire multiple times in his life. It's an old friend at that point, so he didn't even break stride. However, not even a being as powerful as Adolf Sachs can stop the turn of the wheel of history. Even immortals must bow to the trends and forces of human intercession. And France is always going to France. And what I mean by that is that the ultimate downfall of Adolf Sachs came not when his rivals sued him or when his rivals shot at him and set him on fire, but when France went through one of its bi-monthly revolutions. Because as we all know, France is revolting more often than it isn't. In this particular case, the French were sick of the bullshit of King Louis-Philippe I, resulting in the French Revolution of 1848. Not the big one we're all familiar with, there's lots of revolutions. And revolutions being what they are, the makeup of the French government and aristocracy looked radically different at the end of the revolution than it did at the start, and this was bad news for our boy Saxe. Since most of his friends in high places were monarchists, he didn't have friends in high places anymore, and a lot of the protection and support he was receiving was lost as a result of the revolution. Conversely, the United Association of Instrument Makers came out of the revolution quite well, and they were able to leverage their position to force Adolf Sachs into bankruptcy. He was forced to flee France for England in order to escape his creditors. But do you think a little thing like a bankruptcy or three is going to keep Adolf Sachs down? Of course not. This guy won't quit. He can't quit. 
And that's how, based on the strength of his reputation and his peerless skill at making instruments, in 1854, he managed to find himself in the employ of none other than Emperor Napoleon III. Suck a big fat dick, everyone else in the French music industry. I work for the Emperor now. For the Emperor! And this is the obligatory bit where, just in case you're not aware, Napoleon III and Napoleon Bonaparte are different people. Related, but different people, just in case you didn't know that, because some people don't. So anyway, Sax is Bax, and now he's the chief instrument maker to the household troops of Napoleon III. We in business, baby! And just when it looks like Sax is going to finally triumph over all of this adversity, that's when God decides to have another crack at killing him. He's been quiet for a few years now, letting his goons in Paris try and take down his mortal enemy, but they've failed, so now Yahweh has to step in and get his hands dirty again. Adolf Sachs gets cancer. Specifically, he gets a massive tumor on his lower lip. And when you think of tumor, I don't want you to think of like a mole or something. This thing was fucking gargantuan. It's the size of a melon. And it's on his lower lip. You know the thing he uses to play a saxophone? God hated this guy specifically. This tumor was so big that he couldn't even open his mouth. He had to be fed through a tube. So, with a tumor the size of a bowling ball sticking out of his face and preventing him from ripping epic sax solos, Adolf has two options. Option the first. Let Victorian-era doctors operate on him, which should terrify anyone historically literate. Or, option B... Go and see an Indian mystic, because the story didn't have an Indian mystic yet. And obviously, you know what happened. And since Adolf Sachs was immortal, the treatment worked, and his tumor began to subside. I think the mystic claimed a lot of credit for this, but as we all know, Sachs was unkillable. However, unkillable and unbreakable are two different things. The twilight of Adolf Sachs' life went pretty much the same way as his youth. While no force on earth or heaven could ever harm him, people could make his life very unpleasant. And that's what the French establishment did. Sachs' life was forever plagued by frivolous lawsuits from jealous instrument makers, and eventually he just stopped caring enough to fight anymore. They broke him. His patents ran out, and so too did his income, to the point where... Aged 72, he penned a public letter asking for assistance from anyone generous enough to help him. And the letter pretty much said, Hey, I'm the greatest instrument maker of all time. I invented the saxophone that you all love. Everyone has benefited from my inventions. How about you sign up for my Patreon? And that's what people did, because awesome people do Patreon. And Sax lived out the rest of his life on a modest pension from benefactors until his death on the 7th of February, 1894. He was 79 years old. Which is a damn good innings for someone who had literally dozens of near-death experiences. And in case you're wondering, it was pneumonia that finally did him in, as it does with so many others. But Adolf Sachs, although his physical body may have finally failed him, he attained a level of immortality that many aspire to, but very few achieve. 
His inventions advanced the art of music by decades, if not centuries, with his peerless genius pioneering new instrument construction that pushed the bounds of what the world thought possible in the 19th century. Sax's tinkering with horns led to the development of the flugelhorn and the modern euphonium, which both find themselves in any self-respecting orchestra today. He pretty much created from scratch what we consider a modern bugle, consigning to the dustbin of history the ratty designs that came before. But he's most famous for his eponymous invention, the saxophone. The thing that makes the insufferable Lisa Simpson almost, but not quite, a tolerable character. And that's an achievement worth remembering. That's worth carving someone's name in history for. Not to mention that without Adolf Sachs, the 1980s would have never happened and none of us would be here today. Birth rates would have been so low that the human population would have dropped to nil. We have Sachs to thank for that. But for all of Adolf Sachs' hits, I think it's the inventions that didn't take off that are really worth remembering. So let's close out with that. The saxophone was the most famous of Adolf Sax's inventions, but it was by no means his only one. This guy was on a roll. He invented the sax tromba, which was a mild improvement to the trombone that never quite took off, but this then led to the development of the sax horn, which is a family of instruments that you can still find today, mostly in marching bands and third wave ska. He also invented the six-piston trombone, which looks like if you welded three trombones together so that you could trombone while you tromboned. This also never took off on account of how the only way to properly play one of these things is to have arms that split into six arms, like General Grievous. But even then, General Grievous wouldn't be able to play it because of his breathing problems. Hello there. General Kenobi. So the six-piston trombone didn't take off. Sax also invented the sax tuba, which is another invention that never took off because the sax tuba is an instrument that looks like if you crossed a tuba with a jetpack and you wear it like a backpack and it is large enough to cause permanent spinal damage if you wear it for more than 15 minutes. And these are all amazing inventions. Amazing and impractical because they look exactly like you think they would if the guy who invented the saxophone tried to invent other things and they all came out looking like a saxophone. Which leads me to the thing that I am the saddest never got adopted as standard technology, as a staple of this brave new sax punk genre we're discovering as we go. Because Adolf Sax was also the inventor of the Saxo Cannon! Yes, the Saxo Cannon. While this never left the blueprint stage, the Saxo Cannon would have been easily the greatest thing that has ever happened. Because it does exactly what you think it would. Imagine a saxophone the size of a four-story house, and it sits on top of a hill in Paris, and instead of playing music, this thing shoots a 500-ton mortar shell the size of a small truck far enough to demolish a city in Russia. That's what Sax dreamed of. The Saxo Cannon was never built, probably because it isn't physically possible, but Adolf Sax was dreaming of the Cold War almost a century before it happened. He was dreaming of it and planning for it. 
Because if there's one person in history who could see all of the manifold schemes of possibility playing out before him, it was the unkillable Adolf Sachs. And always remember, Adolf Sachs isn't dead. He's merely sleeping. That is not dead which can eternal lie. And with strange eons, even death may die.